the jar of meal will not be emptied, and the jug of oil will not fail. In the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. Whenever I was in college, I visited Auschwitz, an internment camp in Poland where millions died under a Nazi regime. It was a desperate time, and among those murdered was Maximilian Kobe. And Kobe's story is a gospel story, a story that reminds us that in the midst of a starving world, Jesus Christ still feeds us. In July of 1941, 10 men in Kobe's barracks were chosen to starve to death as a punishment. And one man in particular began to cry out in fear. I have a wife. I have a family. I have children. Please, I beg you, take someone else. And hearing this man's plea, Kobe was moved. And he stepped forward, raised his hand, and said very calmly, I will die for that man. Kobe willingly substituted himself for this condemned man. And each time the guards checked on Kobe, he was always in prayer. With no food or water, the guards assumed that he would starve in a matter of days. But after three weeks, Kobe was still alive. But more than that, he was still alive, still singing, still praying, still smiling. And so the guards eventually injected Kobe with a concoction that would take his life, and he did die, but Kobe did not starve. Like the widow in today's reading from 1 Kings, his jug of oil just would not run out. And that is why Kobe's story is a gospel story. He experienced the abundance of putting others first. He was more concerned with feeding others than he was with feeding himself. He spoke the words. He embodied the words. Our me first world finds to be absurd. I will die for that man. Now, today's reading from 1 Kings is also set in a pretty desperate time, and people are starving under much different circumstances. To give you a little background, the kingdom of Israel has been torn apart, and evil King Ahab has turned the people's hearts to worshiping Baal, who they believe is the god of rain. And so to expose the impotence of Baal... To turn the people's hearts back to himself, God sends Elijah to Ahab to announce a drought. But in a place where water and rain mean life and death, what Elijah announces, practically speaking, is famine. The people, it seems, in the absence of rain, are condemned to starve. And so that's the background to today's reading, which begins like this. The word of the Lord came to Elijah, saying, Go now to Zarephath, for I have commanded a widow to feed you. Now, it's worth noting that in Elijah's day, widows had no social, political, or economic status. 
it is significant that the author of 1 Kings does not even know her name. You see, every detail about this widow screams vulnerable, outsider, poor, weak, hopeless. When her husband died, she lost her hope, she lost her status, and her circumstances, of course, reiterate this truth. When Elijah asks for a little bit of food, she explains that her plight is so desperate that her big plan is to make one final meal and then just to die. Poor, vulnerable, and weak, this widow has no hope, no status. Like all the others, it seems that she is condemned to starve. And yet Elijah offers her hope. He assures the widow that if she takes the little food that she does have and prepares him a meal, that she will have more than enough for her family and that God himself will see to it that she is fed until the famine comes to an end. And of course, that's exactly what happens. The widow is hungry, but first she feeds Elijah and her jug of oil doesn't run out. Now, I must have read this passage about 30 times before finding the two words that unlocked its meaning for me. And those two words in the passage are, but first. In fact, these two words, in my estimation, are the key to understanding the Christian gospel. But first. You see, whenever the widow tells Elijah that she only has food for her family, Elijah's response is, but first. But first, he says, make me a little cake and then make something for yourself. Because if you do that, Elijah tells her, you'll never starve, you'll never die, your jar will never run out. Now, let's be honest, our world is starving. On the one hand, there is physical hunger, and people do die of starvation every single day. But in the contemporary affluent West, our hunger is a little bit different. We're hungry because we buy into the false logic of a me-first world, a world that has consistently taught us to feed ourselves first fully, and then to give our scraps to someone else. But you see, there's a problem with this me-first perspective and that it runs completely counter to how the kingdom of God operates. And the kingdom of God is not a religion or a philosophy or a life path we may choose or not choose depending on our temperament. The kingdom of God is an unseen but very present reality. The kingdom of God is reality. And we can align our lives and our hearts and our choices with how the kingdom of God operates. Or we can go with the flow of a me-first world. But to go with the flow of a me-first world will always place us in a bit of a tension with God's kingdom in our midst. Because the kingdom's mission statement consists of only two words. But first. But first, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
But first, love your neighbor. But first, give yourself to this starving world. Your money, your time, your heart, your compassion. But first, give of yourself. And your jar will never run out. Now, I bet you think you know where I'm going to go with this sermon. Maximilian Kobe, he put others first. The widow in today's gospel, she put others first. Jesus was a great teacher who taught us to put others first. They're all great examples, and so go do likewise in your life this week and come back next Sunday. And it's a lovely message, and I really hope that you try to put others first in your life this week, but that is not my message as your preacher this morning, because the Bible is not primarily a book of moral instructions and imperatives with nice little stories sprinkled in that illustrate those moral lessons. Rather, the Bible is first and foremost, it is primarily a redemptive story. It is a true story with a climax and a hero. And all the small stories we read about in the Bible, like the one we heard from 1 Kings, in their own way, they all point towards that hero and towards that climax, that hero who embodied the but-first principle all the way, to Calvary's cross. And so I want to end, rather than exhorting you to action by saying this, in the context of that larger story that we come to St. Michael's to remember, the drought is a metaphor for a world that is alienated from God, a world that runs on the me-first principle. That is the world you and I live in, And everything around us seems to bear witness to this truth. The people who starve, the confusion and depression, the violence, the difficulty we have in our relationships, the wars, not just between nations, but within families. There is a famine, a drought, and it's been going on for a long time now. And so it's not a coincidence that our worship as Christians climaxes with the receiving of bread, or that Jesus likened the kingdom of God to a great feast, or that Jesus said to his disciples that he offers living water. You see, the good news of the Christian gospel is always that there is a hero who lives to provide feasts to our famine. And my job as a preacher is not to exhort you to more selfless behavior or to encourage you to be a better person. My job as a preacher is always to point you to the hero of that story, the hero who became like a widow by emptying himself of all status and power, A hero who cried out from the cross, I thirst, so that you and I may drink. Because when left to ourselves and our own capacity, you and I are just unnamed widows. Poor, vulnerable, weak, hopeless, starving, and if you really want to use your imagination, 
condemned to die. That is, until Jesus stepped forward and said, But first, but first I will die for that man. But first I will die for that woman. I will substitute myself for this condemned world that they may feast eternally in the kingdom of God. Because in my experience, it's when our heart grasps that Jesus put us first, when we understand that our Lord died so that we might live, that is what enables us to joyfully put others first in our life. But outside of an understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done for us, putting others first with no expectation of reciprocity, I find that this is a moral ethic that we cannot sustain. That whenever we try to put others first without understanding that this is precisely what God does for us, that we always end up self-righteous and angry and impatient and eventually our jar of oil runs out. Because by putting us first, Jesus was not merely giving us a good example to imitate But on that cross, he was decisively doing something at the cosmic level to put an end to drought and famine once and for all and to restore the status of widows like ourselves. He was giving us hope. He was giving us assurance that we are loved. He was giving us a clear statement that people in God's eyes are so valuable that they are, in fact, worth dying for. I wonder if that truth has sunk into your heart. If so, we can joyfully put others first because we know the hero lives, that he will feed us until the drought comes to an end, and that our jar will never run out. Amen.